Good morning, brothers and sisters. They are going to read from the scriptures this morning. We've got two readings, so you get a double dose of me this morning. Uh, We're looking at Genesis chapter 29 to start off with, starting at verse... uh, Sorry, I'll just put this up here so I've got it right. Uh, Starting at verse 13 through to 30, and then we're reading on from 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 24. Uh, If you are reading on in the Church Pew Bibles, it starts on 42. And um, if you've got your phone, I can't help you on that one. So starting at verse 13, here we go. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other men. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, my time is complete and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought brought together all the people of that place and gave a feast. And when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as as an attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What have you done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Then Laban replied, It is not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years' work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his certain Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban for another seven years. We're going to flick over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 to 24, if you're on the Pew Bibles. It's uh, starting on 1738. So chapter 7, sorry, I've just got the wrong page there. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her, sorry, the likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gifts from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. 
But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, as the husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, she must not divorce him. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sacrificed through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sacrificed um, through through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule I allow down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Do not let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is freed when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Thanks, Tim. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, When the Lord Jesus finally comes again to bring about a new creation, where will you be? Will you be connected with him or will you be cut off? This is the most important question everyone has to answer in a lifetime. Because how you respond to Jesus Christ in this lifetime impacts eternity for you. And this might seem an odd way to begin a message on singleness and marriage. But it is not. Because whether or not we remain single for this lifetime, or whether we have a season in marriage, or whether our marriage may fail, or whether we lose a beloved partner, it's the same question. Will our faith in Jesus Christ connect us to God, or will we be cut off forever? And the Bible as the Word of God, confirms with clarity and authority that those who have received God's gift of righteousness by His loving grace, through faith in the work of Christ, which brings us forgiveness for our sins and the assurance of a resurrection hope, that we shall be connected with God forever and the unrighteous will be cut off forever. And this is so important 
because we have been made for the marriage. The marriage in which Jesus is the bridegroom. The marriage in which his people, the church, are his bride. And this is a marriage in which he has loved us perfectly. And this is a marriage in which we shall love him and one another imperfectly. And so by his grace and with his help, our hope is that we will grow in our desire to love God and in our desire to love one another well, in mutual love, so that we will be prepared for eternity. And my hope and prayer today is that we will see something of the character of God's mutual love in and of himself, that as we learn more about him, we will also see ourselves a little more clearly, and that we will see how in Christ we can look more and more like the love of God in our own lives, in the way in which we relate to him and one another. And be increasingly connected with him, so that we might enjoy his gifts of singleness and marriage in this lifetime. I'm going to pray. Would you join me? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have spoken in the Torah and through the prophets and the historic annals that you've preserved in your scriptures through the Gospels and through the letters, the epistles of the apostles and through the way in which your word is fully realized in the person of the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you please settle us in heart and mind now We pray that your spirit would be pleased to be our teacher, and we pray that as a result of this short time together, you'd make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So the big idea for today is growing in mutual love, and that's kind of contextualized in our big idea for the series, Building a Biblical Ethic. You'll remember at the beginning we said, in the beginning, God created alive. He created both male and female. He created us to be connected together in his family, in singleness and in marriage. And in marriage, he's given us the opportunity to be devoted to the bearing and raising of children so that for eternity we might be established together as his family. And that's the big idea. And today we're going to look at these passages. We're going to kind of delve in and think some other thoughts from the broader scriptures under three headings. Good people, and family. So firstly, good. In the beginning, God created. He gave nature and purpose to all things. And each thing, when it fulfills its purpose according to its nature, can be called good. God made creation. God made creatures. And God made you and me in his image. And so we are the pinnacle and the most important thing of all those things he has made and loves. And God himself is love. Uh, We read through the scriptures the big theme of God's relationship with his people. But actually this is a secondary theme because before he created us or creatures or creation, God was, is, will be God. He's revealed himself to be one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
We'll stay with God is love, if that's okay for now. And each of those persons love each other perfectly in what can be called mutual love relationships. Three persons who relate to one another in mutual focused love. In other words, each of the persons of the Trinity understands and values and honors the other. Love as a commitment to please the other with suitable service. The threads of which we can draw from John's letter, 1 John 4. And this love is the stuff of love songs. This love is the stuff of love movies. It is the steadfast love, the gracious love, the unconditional love that all of us aspire to. Only God is perfectly other person centered. And he in his love bears with imperfect creatures. He bears with rebellious Israel throughout history. He waits patiently for Israel and the nations. And he loves them. The fullness of his expression of love being in the person of his son Jesus who came to die for us. Love modeled by God as a total commitment for the good of the other. And so looking at God as love, we discover that we are people with purpose. The nature and purpose God gave his people as we think and feel and choose and act, we have the ability but not always the desire to do good for others. Love is good. Love is the commitment to the well-being of others over self. Love sacrifices good for self in favor of of good for others, whether it's our time or our talents or our treasures or our testimony. And God's purpose for people is mutual love relationships with him and with one another. His personal ethic of mutual love fulfills our nature and our purpose. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself, as the Lord Jesus says in Mark 12. And God's plan and purpose for us is to connect with him and to connect with one another. Love being counting others greater than ourselves and seeking their good. Love for God expressed vertically by the way in which we love one another horizontally. Not seeking self-fulfillment and not seeking self-achievement as the best good. But, my second point, We're broken. Let's face it, even on our very best days, we don't feel inclined to sacrificially love others. If you're anything like me, metaphorically speaking, you prefer to look at yourself in the mirror. You prefer to to feather your own nest. And ever since the beginning, where we see in Genesis 3, the fall of mankind in the person of Adam and Eve, we see human beings being self-serving and selfish as a violation of God's good throughout history. Wickedness abounds. And we see it quite clearly in this story of Jacob. Uh, Tim read for us Genesis 29. It shows us Jacob in the story of his betrothal to Rachel and he's burning with desire for this woman. He's duped by Uncle Laban who deceives him 
And even in this little bit of Jacob's story, we think back to how Jacob himself was born to be the great deceiver, deceiving his father so that he might get the blessing due to the older son, Esau. And we see that he works for seven years and seven more years to secure his passion for Rachel. And Jacob is a self-absorbed man in his love for Rachel. She's formly and beautiful to the eye and he desires her. He expresses his love for Rachel in a self-centered way. He has no love for Leah. And as a broken man, we see that he's all about what he can get for his own satisfaction. There's no mutual love evident in this story. No loving service of the other. And as we see Jacob's story, we hear that and see it and read it again and again throughout the scriptures. People looking after and loving themselves. And the hope in that narrative is that one day we might encounter true love. And we do finally see it in the person of Jesus. Now, I've been waiting to do this for many, many years. The moment when the minister says, Mawaj is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream, then love, true love, will follow you forever. So treasure your love. Now for those who don't know, (laughs) oh thank you. Uh, For those who don't know, that's my favorite marriage scene from the story of the Prince's Bride. Princess Buttercup is there to be married. She's uh, there at the altar with the evil Prince Humperdinck. And we're just waiting for her true love, Wesley, to come and save her from this awful arrangement. We're just hoping that he will make it and intervene in time. And that's rather like the love story with God and his people. We're just waiting for King Jesus to come and save humanity from the evil of sin and Satan and the world. And Paul opens his letter to the church of Corinth with words confirming this. Verses 4 in chapter 1 onwards, he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Jesus Christ. For in him you have been enriched in every way. And he will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. He has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And unlike Jesus, we hide things from God, and we conceal things from God, and we enjoy our rebellion. And we fail to honor God as our Lord, and we fail to trust God as our Savior, and we deserve to be cut off from God. But Jesus connects us to God. We need his son Jesus to save us from our sins against God. And we need his spirit who indwells us to help us to be less self-centered, loving people imperfectly, but rather lean into his spirit who helps us to love one another towards perfection. And my third and final point is this, it's family. Mutual love between father and son and spirit set the tone for our family life together. The relationships within the Trinity are expressions of mutual love. And the head of our church family is Christ. And the head of each and every one of our families is Christ. 
And it's true for members of his family, whether we are single or married or widowed, Jesus brought us into his church, his body, his family with his own life. And within the church family, God has given us instructions on how to live together. We are to render mutual love to one another according to his biblical love ethic. And Paul begins this little section back in chapter 6, verse 18, unashamedly setting the scene for us as God's people who are intimate beings. He says, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And we may ask ourselves, why are our bodies so precious? Why are our bodies and our souls so precious to God? Because they belong to him. We belong to him, adopted by our Father in heaven, redeemed by his Son. And, as we see in the next verse, 19, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in us, whom we have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so Paul writing to the church in Corinth, responding to their questions, this passage speaks to staying where you are when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants the singles to remain single, just as he is, verse 7 and 8. Why does he want that for them? Well, life will just be simpler, won't it? To be free from the law of mutual love within marriage is to remain unmarried. It doesn't disqualify us from mutual love with one another within the family of Christ. But I want to speak first to this gift, as Paul describes it, of singleness. Uh, in verse 7, each of us has our gifts from God. Some of us have the gift of marriage, and some of us have the gift of singleness. And for those who are single... Or for those of us, which is all of us, who wish to encourage those who are singles at church, then we share companionship as a family. We do life together. We have one another into our homes, whether married or single, and we enjoy the blessing of difference, but one in Christ. And unlike the worldly perspective, we keep boundaries to promote personal holiness. Now, I'm no longer a single man, so I'm going to take the words that were spoken at the General Synod of the Anglican Church of Australia last month by a single woman, the Reverend Danny Trueweek. She spoke to the gift of singleness in our churches and said this, Singleness is, like marriage, an honorable state for God's people in which the fullness of God's blessings may be enjoyed. I stand before you today, the general synod of the denomination of which I've been a member my entire life, into which I have been ordained, whose members I serve and which I love, asking us not merely to affirm and honor singleness, but to honor and encourage our single brothers and sisters in Christ. The world sees the possibility of a lifetime without sex as unthinkable, even cruel. But, to put it more personally, chastity or choosing not to have sex, is not a cruel suppression of my sexuality as a single Christian. Instead, it is my active and godly expression of the sexuality God has given me as a single Christian. 
She refers back to a previous synod in 2004, we as a church called the single Christian to value their chastity. In 2022, the essential question before us is whether we as a church will resolve to value those chaste single Christians themselves. Now Paul begins his response to the Corinthian question in chapter 7 verse 1 by saying it is good for a man not to touch, literally, or have sexual intimacy outside marriage with a woman and vice versa. And the reason for this is because God did not give us one another to be used for our own sexual pleasure. Where is sexual intimacy to happen to please God? It is within the marriage. And as Christians, intimacy is reserved for marriage. And I know that we can slip up. Some of us have been or are in a relationship with another person, but God wants us to maintain good and wise boundaries to avoid this sexual intimacy outside marriage. I have to say that if you're in a relationship and you're tempted to head down that path, men, it's predominantly our responsibility to look after those sisters in Christ and ensure they are pure and blameless on the day they meet Jesus. To maintain good boundaries to, if necessary, meet only in public places. Or quite frankly, guys, just to have a cold shower. It really is incumbent upon us to love and care for our sisters in a way that honors them. Now, singleness is a good gift. Marriage, too, is a good gift, but it is not the answer. I think the movie Jerry Maguire has a lot to answer for, where we see that moment where Rene Zellweger come together and Tom Cruise, and he says to her, you complete me. And I want to say no. You know, that's bled all over the place. Even Batman and Joker had a joke about it. Joker saying to Batman, you complete me. Marriage is not for me. You cannot complete me. You certainly are not there to scratch my sexual itch. Yet on the other hand, Paul says, that if you're in a relationship, verse 9, a betrothal, if passion burns in you, then marry. I don't think that's marry just anyone. I think that's the situation in which Paul says, marry if you're committed and exercise that intimacy in the place that I have given you. And we come now to marriage thinking about how last week God made both our sexes male and female so that we need not be baffled by gender variety or odd marriages. And Jesus in Matthew 19 clearly defines marriage as being between a man and a woman. And I can do no better than to pick up the words of our own Archbishop Kanishka Raffle who spoke this year and it's in the Southern Cross for those who'd like to read the whole article. And I quote, Jesus teaches that marriage is a lifelong mutual and exclusive commitment between a man and a woman. For Christians, these words are authoritative, trustworthy and good and involve the implication that God's gift of sexual intimacy is part of the lifelong covenantal relationship of marriage. Sexual differentiation is essential for marriage and therefore same-sex marriages do not come within a Christian understanding of marriage. 
We acknowledge that same-sex couples under the Marriage Act have both legal validity and their own internal integrity, bringing to those who are party to them companionship and comfort. But Christians must continue to say that God has designed human sexuality to be expressed in the context of marriage between a man and a woman who have committed themselves to each other exclusively and permanently whenever the Bible addresses sexual expression outside of marriage, whether it is heterosexual or homosexual expression, its assessment is negative. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Marriage is made by God. He joins together. Let no man put asunder, for marriage is made in heaven. But marriage is maintained here on earth. And so Paul is careful in verses 2 to 6 of chapter 7 to say, stay faithful and enjoy intimacy only with your spouse. You may set yourselves aside for a time of prayer, but do not let Satan take advantage of too long a part in your intimacy. Paul goes on to write in Ephesians 5 that every husband is to love his wife and every wife is to respect her husband. We'll look more at that a little later in the year as we follow through on the book of Ephesians. But this respect comes from trusting God and his ethic of mutual love which looks to the needs of the other person first. In other words, your spouse and your kids are not to serve you. This is where that attitude can slowly lead to abuse. It's not the place to be served in marriage. It's not the place in which to enjoy a life of ease and comfort and completion. It is a place within which God plans to grow us and to do it in difficult circumstances. Paul David Tripp, who's a theologian and writer on this matter, says that when a couple come together, you take two sinners and you put them into the war zone of marriage. In fact, let me use his words to describe the priority of marriage. He says, we're not just on God's agenda, oh, sorry, we're just not on God's agenda page. Our desire is that our marriages would be the location of our comfort, ease, and enjoyment. We often have desires no bigger than this. But God's purpose is that each of our marriages would be a tool for something that is way more miraculous and glorious than our tiny little self-focused definition of happiness. He has designed marriage to be one of his most effective and efficient tools of personal holiness. He has designed your marriage to change you. Marriage is a space for companionship, for kids and for sex and to grow us. But it is also a signpost to the eternal marriage between Christ and his church. But before we think about how that lands in our connection with Christ for eternity. I don't want to forget those amongst us who have become single after being married, those who are married no longer. Sometimes marriages fail. Some of our spouses have left us. Some of us grieve over this. Others have been given by God's grace a second chance. Some separate and are able to be reconciled. Others are better off alone. And Paul answers some of these questions from the Corinthian church, where in verses 7 to 10 he says, If you are separate, 11, or deserted, verse 15, then seek to be living at peace. 
Again, the overriding ethic of mutual love is what drives us, whatever the circumstances. Seeking peace over war for the good relationships with God and others. But sometimes in this life, our marriages fail. Sometimes a partner will die. The first to go to be with the Lord and the widow or the widower remains missing them. Some have a lifetime in grief. Others grieve the absence for a season. And whilst the whole doesn't shrink, life grows around it so that the perspective changes. For some, this is a terrible burden and they need our prayer and care. For others, it can be the relief of somebody who has suffered for a long time, knowing that they are in the arms of Jesus. But in all of this, we are assured by the Lord Jesus himself in Luke chapter 20 that this is the end of marriage in this lifetime. We continue into eternity as male and female, but there will be discontinuity with marriage. None of the marriages that we have or have had will endure into the new creation. We are siblings, husband and wives only for a lifetime brothers and sisters in Christ for all eternity. And that's where I want us to land today as we go back to this question about being connected. When the Lord Jesus finally comes again to bring about this new creation, where will you be? Will you be connected to him? Or will you be cut off? I want to encourage you today, above all, to connect with this Jesus who offers you a welcome into eternity if you would only acknowledge that he is your saviour and king. And when the full number of God's people is established into the new creation, every one of us will be connected in eternal mutual love relationships with God. A perfect expression of that idealised, then realised ecstatic joy in companionship with one another. And so for now, whether we're married or have been married, whether we're single or youth, or kids, God is establishing his family forever. His place for us is in eternity. And he's at work in our lives to make us more like Jesus every day. Singleness for a season, marriage for a season, but with him together forever in the perfect marriage that he has prepared for us. So let us continue to strive to connect with him and one another in mutual love for eternity as his family. Shall I pray? Father God, there's nothing like the perfect marriage that you have in store for us in the new creation where the perfect bridegroom, Jesus, will have cleansed us fully from all our sins and selfishness to be able to mutual love one another and him in a way that is pleasing to you and good for us forever and ever. Thank you so much for connecting us with Jesus Christ, the one who has loved us in perfection, and the one to whom we wish to respond in love because of his love for us. Would you please help us, Father God, to continue to remain connected to him day in, day out, week in, week out, encouraging one another in this walk with him until the day we meet him face to face. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.